everyone, it's nice to hear. This episode is going to be a little bit different from what we've done before, because today I'm not joined by my regular co-hosts, Kat and Agara, but I do have my brilliant friend here with me and my colleague, Anna Miranyuk. Hi, guys. Anya is the head of our new investigations unit at the Kiev Independent, and as she's developing her new team, she's also traveling all over Ukraine for war reporting. So thank you so much for finding the time for us. I'm very excited to have you. Of course, I'm glad to be here. So just a week ago, Anya came back from the south of Ukraine, parts of which are currently occupied by Russia. And one of the stories she brought back is this very sad and difficult story of a family that tried to escape occupation, but for many reasons got separated at a Russian checkpoint. They genuinely thought that they might never see each other again. But later, thankfully, they managed to reunite. So, Anya, lay out the scene for us. Where did you meet this family and what's their story? Olena Butyaeva, мені 41 рік. Я із Високопілля Херсонської області. Коли от тоді давайте згадаємо перші дні війни. So I met this family in a dormitory for internally displaced people in Krivirik, a city in Dnipro Oblast in the south of Ukraine. They are from Vysokopilye, a village from Kherson Oblast, roughly 150 kilometers northeast of Kherson, Russia occupied. They are a family of three, Olena, who is the woman I spoke with, her mother, Lubov, and her daughter, Leah. Olena's mother is 67 and she barely walks. She has problems with her knee joint, so she uses a walking stick to get around and takes painkillers. That's why getting out of the Russia-occupied village was especially difficult for her, having that uh, they were allowed to get out only by foot. Okay, so what was the beginning of war like for them? Why haven't they evacuated earlier, before their village was occupied? Like most of us, when the full-scale war began, they were shocked. They, however, were certain that their village was relatively safe because, as they say, there is nothing of Russia's potential interest there. No military infrastructure, no no big factories or businesses, nothing. But eventually, by the middle of March, Russian troops were getting closer and closer. At one point, they were stationed in uh, Olgina, a village just two kilometers away from Vesakapili, and began heavily shelling the area. That's when things started getting really, really bad. And was their property damaged at all? Yeah, they lived in an apartment block. Uh, Their flat is on the top floor right near the roof. Uh, The shelling first knocked out all the windows and then a missile hit the roof of the building, um, damaging their place too. Most of their belongings inside were broken and destroyed. There were pieces of glass and shells everywhere. But luckily, they weren't at home when it happened, so no one was injured or hurt. Also, when we caught up with Elena just a couple of days ago, she told me that her apartment was hit once again. So in the midst of all this shelling, did they have a cellar or anything that could work like a bomb shelter there? They were lucky to have a basement, as many buildings in their village didn't have any. Olena brought duvets and blankets there to make it more suitable for living. At a point, there were around 15 families there. Some people were their neighbors, but many came from other apartment blocks too. And you said her mom took painkillers for her joints. I mean, I imagine that eventually became a big problem because they must have run out of medicine, right? Yes, that was awful. The pain got so bad that Elena's mom, Lubov, cried and screamed from pain. Elena cried too and had to go ask the Russian soldiers for some medicine. 
they did give her some painkillers, um, so it became a little bit easier. Was that the typical attempt to make themselves look like, you know, benevolent liberators? I mean, I find it hard to believe that they actually cared about this woman. That's exactly what Elena believes in, as Russian soldiers told her, quote, look, we're the good guys, we come to liberate you. Yeah, they do this everywhere. Um, So how long did they spend under occupation? 43 days. It was terrible for them and very scary because Elena has a young daughter who is 18 years old. And we've all heard these horrendous stories of Russian soldiers sexually assaulting women and girls and men too on occupied territories. So Elena had to hide Leah. One time the shelling was so intense that Leah literally lost her hearing for a day. But it was also awfully scary for everyone else. Once Russian soldiers told Elena that they would fly a drone, shoot at civilians and laugh while watching everybody run away. Another time, a soldier that Elena thought was a commander told her that they won't get out of this village, quote, not by crawling, not by walking or biking. You won't get out. You will die. Wow, that's a change of tune from that guy who brought in the medicine. Yeah, well, that's what their main tune was, according to the locals. Yeah, um, so despite all these threats, they attempted to get out anyway. How did, how did that happen? It was April 23rd, Alana's 41st birthday. On that day, Russians told the locals that they would let people out of the village. Um, but it wasn't that simple, of course. Uh, the Russians mined the road and said something along the lines of, uh, quote, if you want to go, go, and if you get blown up on a mine, we'll come and finish you. As you can imagine, it wasn't a perfect setup for an escape. But Elena, along with hundreds of other people, didn't care. It was unbearable for them to stay. They wanted to escape at all cost. As I mentioned earlier, her mother barely walks. And that was an issue, because Russian soldiers only let people go on foot. No cars or bikes were allowed. That's why they had to do a lot of walking towards Ukraine-controlled territory. So Elena helped her mother into a wheelbarrow and moved towards the contact line along with her daughter. So they made it to the last Russian checkpoint, and Elena's arms just collapsed. She was unable to carry on and push the wheelbarrow any further, but she couldn't abandoned her mother either. So she told Leah, her daughter, that they have to say goodbyes because that's the point where they separate and she is going back. Leah successfully evacuated to safety in Krivirik through the green corridor that day. Oh my God. That sounds like something that no parent or child or frankly any human being should ever go through. It was hellish. Elena was angry at her mom for, you know, being a burden in a way, as she genuinely thought that she might never see Leah, her daughter, again. Her whole body shook and her arms hurt terribly from carrying her mother for kilometers. But eventually they made their way back home. The shelling began again. For the rest of the night, Elena just cried. She put Leah's sweater and her Benny on the pillow and went to bed. She only slept for an hour or two. Yeah, understandably so. (laughs) Well, since you met her, clearly she was able to escape. How did she manage to do that? Her neighbors had a car and a plan. They wanted to lie to the Russians, saying they go further to the occupied area, 
to Kherson, but instead turned to the Ukraine-controlled territory at one point. A couple of her neighbors took Elena and her mom in their car and they drove away. The only things Elena took with her were documents, some underwear, and three family photographs. So they got on the road, driving through Russian checkpoints, destroyed bridges, mined roads, and tunnels, slowly making their way towards Kriverich. The road was obviously terrifying because they felt like they could die at any moment. We've all heard these stories of people just accidentally driving over a mine and getting injured or killed. Olena told me that the driver's hands were literally shaking from fear. Wait, so during all of this time, which I, I think was only a day, but still, was she in touch with her daughter at all? Did she know whether she even survived? She didn't know it, as she had managed to reach out to her daughter's boyfriend, who at the time was also uh, on Russia-occupied territory. So um, he told Olena that Leah was safe and sound in Krivirich at their relatives. Uh, they finally spoke to one another when they met in, in the city. All right, so back to the drive. I imagine it must have taken them a really long time to get to safety, right? In normal times, the drive would be less than 100 kilometers, taking maybe an hour or so. But since they had to drive around through all these different villages, checkpoints, plus the mines, plus the ongoing shelling, it took them 14 hours to get to Kriviri. A whole day, basically. Okay, that's what I thought. So they all make it to Kriverich and finally reunite with her daughter, yeah? Yes, there is a happy ending in this story. They found one another, Olena and her mother now stays at a dormitory for internally displaced people, while her daughter Leah stays at their relatives. We all need more stories like this that have happy endings. Um, was there anything else on this trip? that stood out to you? I mean, how long you were there for? Um, something like four days, I guess. It's interesting that many people fleeing occupation turned volunteers themselves and now help those who just like them arrive in the city empty-handed. And the volunteer center I'm talking about now was set up by people running away from Russia's war in the Donbass back in 2014. Yeah, speaking of that, you yourself are from Donetsk, and although I know you moved to Kiev earlier, your family had to flee when Russia invaded Donbass in 2014. So, I mean, when reporting on such stories about people having to run away from war, I imagine it can be triggering. I don't really know, because I think to some extent I got used to it for this eight years, but... The story of this particular woman, Olana, did trigger something in me. I had a very similar situation to that of Olana's. Not, not as dramatic as though, but my mother and grandmother were also stuck in Russia-occupied territory in Bucha, a place infamous of Russia's atrocities. It was in early March. They were in different places in the city, and I knew that there was just one spot in a car of my mother's neighbor's that could get her out of the occupation. I told her to take it and leave. Um, she didn't want to. She refused to leave her mother. But I told her to do so because she was unable to help her anyhow. My logic was the following. If you could save at least one person, do it. Fortunately, my grandmother was evacuated the following day along with other patients of Bucha Hospital, where she was at the time. Oh, that's interesting. I... I didn't know that about her grandmother. I actually wrote a few stories 
about that hospital in Bucha because my family friend is one of the head doctors there. So they've told me a lot of really crazy stories because they stayed there nearly all through occupation. But the story of your mom also is, you know, is very similar to what happened to mine because she stayed in the village that's maybe five minutes away from Irpin and 15 minutes away from Bucha, all of those Kiev suburbs that were occupied. And she didn't want to leave until the very last moment. I mean, she left like maybe an hour before Russian tanks rolled in and the Russian checkpoint was set up in our village. And, you know, she stayed there for like weeks under constant shelling and I would tell her to get out, but she just didn't want to. She, you know, she's a very emotional woman. So, you know, and and also a very patriotic woman. So she was saying, you know, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to stay in my house. I'm going to resist the Russians. That's exactly what my mother told me. She was like, I believe in our Ukraine troops. I believe in Ukraine armed forces. I won't uh, move an inch. I will be there because I I trust our guys. And I was like, mom, I also believe in our armed forces. But that doesn't mean that you have to stay under shelling in in an area that uh, is frankly... Under, the worst place in the in Ukraine at the time, probably. And it's risk of being occupied or at least being a, um, a you know a, a playground for for some serious uh, battle. But what many people don't understand is that while they support the armed forces, the best thing for them to do for for the armed forces is get to get the hell out. out. Yes, yes, exactly. Because you make the job easier. And you know, I just came back from Donbas from a reporting trip, and what I hear soldiers in territorial defense guy is saying as well as you know i was following my friends who were evacuating people and people would say thank you you know thank you so much for coming to get us out and he would say no thank you for getting out because you are making our job easier and we don't have to you know listen to those kremlin propagandists saying that ukrainian army uses civilians as, as 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 a shield or whatever as a life shield First of all, A, that's not true, but also B, if if you're there, you're really making it difficult for Ukrainian armed forces to do the job. Indeed. So, Anya, thank you so much for being here and sharing this important story with us. But before we go off, for the first time, I want to encourage all of our listeners to support the Kiev Independent and subscribe to our Patreon. We are a truly community-based outlet because we're financially backed by our readers and now listeners, you. First and foremost, so your support is incredibly important for us. So, guys, if you want to support independent journalism in Ukraine, which right now in the middle of war is more important than ever, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash independent, or you can just Google Kiev Independent Patreon and the first few links should lead you right to it. Okay, Anya, thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you for having me. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening.